This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. It's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of woes there. Um, he's not talking about lawyers in the sense that, that we would be thinking of it. <laughs> so those are uh, people who would be uh, teachers of the law, of the Torah, of, of Scripture. Um, we're going to talk about something this morning, I think, that's uh, super important. Uh, Jesus, Jesus has a handful of times in the Gospels where he says, beware, like watch out, like be concerned. And I kind of went through and I found 12 times where Jesus uses that word about, about beware, about worry about something. And it seemed to me that eight of those times we're centered around similar things. We're centered around similar things. This idea of deception and hypocrisy. Like, watch out, beware, be concerned, my disciples, around deception and hypocrisy. So this morning we're gonna hopefully have a little sense of why Jesus was so harsh um, when someone said, hey, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. He kind of said, yeah, good. Woe to you also. And it's because he's concerned, he hates, and he says, beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. So this morning, we're gonna talk about the dangers of hypocrisy, and I want, um, let's start with some prayer first, and we'll kind of we'll jump into what that sort of looks like, and then we'll talk about what that is, uh, and then some things to remember as we talk about the dangers of hypocrisy. So let me, let me pray for us first. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to say, uh, watch out, to, to say beware. Amen. Lord, I thank you that you, um, sometimes you say hard things, and um, maybe it's easy for us to digest that a little bit if we don't see it directed at us, but Lord, we know if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have a measure of hypocrisy in our hearts, Lord. Don't we? Um, yeah, we don't, we don't always act consistently on the outside, like with who we are on the inside and vice versa. And I pray that you would um, help us recognize that. Pray that you would humble us, that we would believe you that as we see ourselves as in need of a savior, in need of someone to transform us and to change us and to make us more consistent with who we are, that we'd recognize your love and desire to change us and to make us like your son as we come to you humbly. So I pray that you would help us with that, Lord, and just give us a sense, give us um, just the weight that Jesus has on this topic. Give us, um, give us similar weight, that we'd be concerned with this this idea of hypocrisy, so we could bring you more glory and more honor in who we are. In your name I pray, amen. So we're gonna be mostly in chapter 12. I kind of read that, that first part of the story leading up to what Jesus says, because I think it's a little bit um, intense where Jesus is just, woe is like this idea of curse. It's like a curse, like woe, curse, Cursed are you, in a sense. You could say it that way. And, and Jesus uses these harsh words, because if you look at chapter 12, it says, in the meantime, verse one of chapter 12, it says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, but essentially implied to the crowd as he talks to his disciple, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he, he says these woes, these curses, and he has all these strong words because it's building up to something. He's got, he's got all, all the, the, the leaders of the day, the hypocrites that he's calling them out for are, are, are actually trying to catch Jesus in his words with, with using the law and using scripture. They're trying to sort of trip up Jesus. And crowds are just flocking to him to the point where it says that they're gathered together that they were trampling one another. I mean, this is a, 
This is a, this is a huge crowd as they're gathering to Jesus. And, and, and he looks at his disciples as he speaks to the crowd, as he speaks to the Pharisees and says, watch out, be concerned for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And leaven is a, you know, if you know any, if you like 2020 COVID, we, all of us have more bread experiences than previously. It's not that much, you know, <clears throat> like the overall amount of leaven compared to bread is not that much. It's like, you know, sprinkling a little bit there in the dough. So, so what he's kind of saying, he's like, look, the hypocrisy is so wicked, is so impactful, is so terrible that even a tiny little bit can kind of ruin things, can kind of ruin things. And I, I mean, I feel like that's sort of intuitive for most of us. Like how many people do we talk to that were like, you know what? I was part of Christianity. I was involved in the church. I grew up with it. You know, I just saw people finding joy and peace and love and God, and they were so wonderful, and it just wasn't for me. You know, that's not what we hear. <laughs> like, you know, that, like I would love to hear that, and I've actually been in conversations where there's a disconnect there, and there isn't necessarily a throwing of the church under the bus. But most of the times, when people talk about how the church has damaged them, what is the thing that comes up? Hypocrisy. Like they said this and did this to me. They did this, but said this over here. And I think at the root, we, you know, there's a, I was just looking at definitions of hypocrisy and at the root, I think hypocrisy is discontinuity between the inside and the outside. Discontinuity between what's in here or what's in here and what's happening out here. Jesus is saying, beware just a tiny bit of a difference between what's going on in here and what's happening out here can cause all kinds of damage. Can cause all kinds of damage. And I think there's a couple of even in this like image right here where, where Jesus is sort of speaking these things to his disciples, the Pharisees are there. It's implied they're there and they're kind of harassing him. And these giant crowds are here, like flocking to him. I think we have a couple of different perspectives on hypocrisy right here. If you think about the, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they're like the people who are supposed to be taking God's word the most serious. Like they're the ones that are, that know, that have memorized large portions of the Old Testament. <clears throat> so they're actually giving lip service in a lot of ways to what God has said. Like no, nobody thought the Pharisees and the lawyers were like not godly people. Like and we look back and we're like, oh, those are the bad guys of the story, you know? Like even the disciples in one of the, in one of the gospels, Jesus is like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, like bread? Like they don't, they, they're like, what do you mean beware of the, like we don't, is he talking about bread? You know, they're, they literally talk amongst themselves like is Jesus talking about bread? And Jesus is like, you have little faith. Like, so they don't, so the, the lawyers in the Pharisees are actually people who would say externally, they would say they take God's word very seriously. Like it's important to them. And it's interesting what Jesus says right here. Uh, if we go back to chapter 11, Verse 46, look at what he says. He says, woe to the lawyers for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Like you may have good things to say about God's word, but you don't do any of it. You might uh, tithe these little tiny things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. Like you give lip service to what God is saying. But really when it comes down to it, you don't do any of it. That's that, that's that discontinuity between the inside and the outside. <clears throat> that's like saying with your mouth certain things, but actually not doing those things. And Jesus is warning us of that. But there's another kind of hypocrisy there's another kind of, because we're talking about discontinuity, like inconsistency between inside and outside. Another kind of hypocrisy is doing the things on the outside, 
but kind of hating it on the inside. Doing the stuff that we should be doing, but also not really enjoying it or thinking well of it or wanting to do it or desiring. It's another inconsistency between the outside and the inside. I have a quote from Charnock um, in The Existence and Attributes of God, and he kind of touches on this in, in light of worship. In light of worship, and I don't have it written down, so I need Jesse's help on the screen. Here it is. Thank you. <laughs> Here's what he says, and he's, he's touching on this idea of, of maybe on the outside, we're doing the things, but there's some, there's some hypocrisy. There's some discontinuity between what's going on on the inside. And he says, worship is nothing else but a rendering to God the honor that's due to him. And therefore, the right posture of our spirits, so he's talking about our hearts, the the internal, the immaterial part of us, the, the right posture of our spirits in it is as much or more due than the material worship. So he's saying if, our, if, our, if, our, if we're giving glory and honor to God, who is spirit, God is spirit, and we're going through these external motions, the material worship, the, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing this, you know, I don't know, whatever the external things are. Maybe I'm singing the songs, maybe I'm showing up, I'm doing the things. But, but it's our, the right posture of our spirits is actually more due to him because he is spirit. Like the internal desires for God are more due to him than the external things that we do. And he's not saying the external things are not important. He's saying the internal things are important. And then he goes on to say, such a worship wherein the mind thinks of God, feels a sense of God, has a spirit consecrated to God, the heart glowing with affections to God, that's the, that's the genuine spiritual worship of God. And he says, it is else a mocking God with a feather. Anything else, essentially, anything separate from that is a, is a I have the picture of like a kid like kind of pestering you with like a feather or something, is mocking him. It's hypocrisy. It's the going through the external while not having genuine affections for God who is spirit in our spirits, in us, is like a mocking of him. A really good example of that in Luke, think about these crowds who are gathering to Jesus, they're trampling each other to get to Jesus, like like, are they not more thrilled to come to Jesus than the Pharisees, right? Like, they're, they're, they're just, like, crowding around him. But what do they do so many chapters later? Crucify him. Crucify him. And in a lot of the Gospels, you can see that they're in it for the miracles, the food, what all the tricks he's doing. So even in this little picture right here with the Pharisees and the crowd, we have both dangers of hypocrisy. We have two sort of pictures of the difference between the inside and the outside. Where the lawyers are saying, oh, all these things about God's law is really important, but they don't want to touch any of it. They don't want to do any of it. They're just giving it lip service. We have a crowd that's like gathering to Jesus. Like, could you, if you could pick, you know, if, if anyone could... If you could like image what it looks like to worship, it'd be just like rushing to Jesus, right? Like rushing to Jesus. But they're obviously, as the story goes on, they're not, they're not doing it out of genuine love and affection for him because they want to crucify him so many pages later. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, beware of the inconsistency between the outside and the inside. Beware of hypocrisy. I think if we're honest with ourselves, and we should be, we're all a little guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. I mean, I think that sometimes when I go and 
try to take some time to pray and consider the Lord, worship him. Maybe it's just on a Sunday morning. You know, how many other things are going through my mind? Maybe I'm, temp- I mean, I'm, I'm not maybe. I am tempted often to sort of craft my, like, what am I gonna say when I first get up there? <laughs> you know, like, how am I gonna, like, kick this off kind of thing? I'm, like, thinking of that. As I'm like, Holy Spirit, what am I going to figure out? You know, like I'm like singing, you are welcome. Here, just help me, you know, figure this out. No, 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 no. I'm not like my affections, my spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the words, you know. I'm singing, doing all the outside stuff. But sometimes the things inside of me are hypocrisy. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not stirring my affections and drawing my spirit towards the God who is spirit. And I have to repent even in those moments and say, Lord, help me trust you. Give me wisdom maybe to prepare better next week or whatever. Help me just trust what you're going to do. But I need your help to make me not a hypocrite. And I think that's why Jesus is warning us. He's not saying beware of hypocrisy, beware of this discontinuity between what's going on in here and what you're doing out here because I want you to feel terrible. He's saying beware of this because if you don't recognize it, if you're not honest with yourself about when this is happening, it's gonna be that leaven that kind of just destroys everything. It doesn't take much to kind of ruin it. And so for the remainder of this morning, we're gonna look at a handful of things to remember, things we can remember, and this is as we kind of walk through chapter 12 a little bit, things we can remember so that we can avoid the danger of hypocrisy. A handful of things for us to remember so we can avoid the danger of hypocrisy. Because Jesus is saying beware, and he doesn't just say, hey, beware of hypocrisy. Now I'm gonna go on to like 15 other subjects that have nothing to do with that. Luke is putting this story together and when Jesus says something like, watch out, beware, we have a handful of little uh, sayings from Jesus and things that kind of come from that that I think help us, give us some things to remember so that you and I could be less hypocrites, so that you and I could have what we say and do and speak on the outside more consistent with what's on the inside. Like that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to change in us. So the first thing we need to remember is that you're not hiding it forever. Like you're not hiding it forever. I think it's, we're good at tricking ourselves into thinking that no one knows what's going on in here. You know, I put on a smile, saying loud, whatever. You know, I was, I was nice to that person at work that I just hate. <laughs> like, we, we trick ourselves into thinking that, like, it's no one knows. Like, it's hidden. And I think there is an aspect of that, that, yeah, in, in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, like, there's a lot that is hidden from the outside world. But I think more often than not, people pick up on those things, right? Bridget was like, she said, uh, she's like, she's like, we're pretty sensitive to people who are hypocrites. Like we know, like we we're picking up on that. And I was like, yeah, because we're so good at it. <laughs> like, like we're the experts at being hypocrites. So we pick up on it when it's happening in other people. And I think a lot of times we trick ourselves into being like, no one's picking up on me, you know? Uh-huh, they they are. <laughs> Sometimes it's your kid, you know, picking up on those things and they are barely processing the world. So who knows what your spouse or your friend or your coworker is picking up on. But look at what Jesus says in chapter 12. Beware of hypocrisy. And this is the very next word. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. It's all coming out somewhere, sometime. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. 
whatever you've secretly thought is going to be announced. This is Jesus encouraging his disciples to recognize their own hypocrisy. He, he turns and speaks to his disciples. And it's not just, I think of the Pharisees with the like giant crowd. Like how much did that sting for them, you know? Like these are the popular guys and he's like, I'm gonna turn the disciples, but I know who here is here in this. Like proclaiming to everybody, beware of these guys. He's encouraging his disciples and he's saying, hey, guys, it's coming out. Like you're not hiding it. And I think that can be encouraging maybe as we consider people in our lives that we might be turned off by because they're a little hypocritical or we just are, are sort of, um, we see it in someone and maybe there's a part of us that's like, you know, someday that will come out. Like that will be exposed. But if that's our only thought and we don't pull the log that's sticking in our own eye, we don't self-reflect and say, all the thoughts and intentions of my hearts will be revealed someday. Like God is aware of those things. I like this uh, proverb 20, chapter 20, verse 27. In the Proverbs, there's a lot of uh, cool little statements about the, the thoughts uh, in a man's heart. It's like they're deep waters, like, like the Mariana Trench, you know, you can't get to them. Like, but a wise man will sort of pull them out. <coughs> it uh, talks about keeping the heart, considering the heart and being uh, considerate of what's going on inside you because it's hard to determine like what is your thoughts and intentions. And then there's this proverb that I love. It says, the spirit of a man, the, the inner part, the invisible part of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. It's like for God, that's like what he sees. Like that's his lamp lighting up everything about who you are. He is spirit. So everything that's hard for you to decipher in somebody else, it's hard for you to decipher inside of you for God is like the thing that lights up everything about who you are. It's not even hidden to him now. He knows. He's aware. He sees hypocrisy where you don't even recognize it in yourself. I think remembering that we're not hiding it forever is meant to encourage us to deal with it now. To come to the Lord who loves us and cares for us and died for us and say, Lord, here's where I'm a hypocrite. Here's where there's discontinuity between the outside and the inside. Like, help me with that. I don't want to hide that from you. I want, I want to bring it to light. I want to bring it into the light so it can be light so that there can be transformation there. <clears throat> Another thing to remember, we're not hiding it forever. We need to remember to consider who you fear. To consider who you fear. And I think this goes back down to like why, what's our motivation behind, like why are we hypocrites in the first place? Like why, why are we, why are we not, consistent with who we are internally all the time. And I think a lot of that is because we're afraid of certain people or certain things. We don't, we don't want to, to share our thoughts in a particular work meeting because no one wants to hear that. <laughs> like I'm worried about if I, if I shared this, like how would people feel? And I think there's, there's appropriate context to say like, yeah, there's wisdom in like being quiet because I'm not saying anything to build up. I'm not saying we should all walk out of here and just be jerks because we're being consistent with ourselves. <laughs> don't, hear me, don't hear me as saying that. But we should, we should recognize that. We should say, wow, that, that, that just the, it's, I'm not, oh no, my thoughts are dishonoring the Lord. I'm, oh no, I don't want to make that person upset. Like we need to take a minute to like evaluate what are like, like the fears in our lives that help us, that orient what we do and what we say. Look at what Jesus says in verse four of chapter 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, which <clears throat> I love how Jesus just addresses his disciples. He's like, I tell you, my friends, 
Like, there's already affection there. My friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. There, I mean, I think the doctrine of the fear of the Lord, you know, Proverbs says that wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we think about how God has affection for us and says, my, he says, my friends. And it's like a hard, I think we want to like soft sell that and be like, you know, it's like respect, you know, it's not fear, it's like respect. It's a, it's a hard, like so many things in scripture, it's like yes and yes, you know, like it's two things. Like they're, how we operate, if we take the time to really consider our motivations behind things, how many of our motivations and our actions are built around fear? Like I rigorously scheduled when my kid sleeps because I'm afraid I won't sleep well. <laughs> then I'm afraid I'm going to be a jerk. Or I apply myself at work maybe a lot, like big time, because I'm afraid of someone will think of me a certain way. Or I'm afraid maybe I won't get that promotion or something. Think, uh, thinking about just even our, 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 as a community, like our concerns about our church as a whole, you know, as we, as we look forward in the future, there's a measure of like fear of what does that look like six months, 12 months, 18 months from now. And I think so much of the decisions we make, so much of the actions that we have, the reason why there's maybe discontinuity between what I'm doing out here and how I feel in here is because our fear is in the wrong place. Like we're gonna fear, period. And Jesus is like, my friends, reorient that fear around God. Like what if you don't glorify him? What if you miss a chance to bring him more glory? What if you ignore what he said about who you are and how much he loves you? Like, how would that make him feel if he's done all those things in Christ? If we, don't, if we want to have more consistency between what's going on in here and what's going on out here, we have to remember to consider our fear. And where and who is it oriented around? It's interesting that Jesus says right here, he says, I warn you to fear. Fear him who he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. <clears throat> and the very next thing he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Like they're worthless. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear <laughs> Like fear, don't fear. Like the, 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 the difficulty of that doctrine is like right in this paragraph. Fear, but don't fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. It's like if you orient all of your concerns and the things that trouble you around God himself, you don't have to worry. Like you don't have to fear because the God you fear has such concern and love and care for you. Guess what? If your fear is oriented around yourself, if your fear is oriented around someone at work, they don't love you that much. You don't care for yourself that much. It will burn you. <laughs> like there's no hope. There's no guarantee of joy if I orient my fear around something less than God. It ultimately will disappoint you, yourself included. <laughs> And if we're going to be consistent, if, if who we are in here is going to be reflective of what we do out here and what we do out here is going to be consistent with what we're thinking in here, we have to remember and think about and really consider where our fear is. Because it doesn't work any other way. We're going to fall into hypocrisy. I think that's why in Isaiah... 
chapter 33, verse 6. It's an interesting verse. He says, he will be, this is in Isaiah. He says, he will be the stability of your times. God will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. Like who doesn't want all those things, right? Stability, all this salvation, wisdom and knowledge. And the very next statement is the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Like God's people treasure that. God's people value that. God's people need the fear of the Lord to reorient them from all the other fears that are around. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. I think, how do we, you know, how do we treasure that? Like, what does that look like to consider the fear of the Lord and and the things that we fear? I mean, for me, when I get anxious about something, or sometimes I get frustrated about something. Those are like emotions that come out of me. Um, anger is it, like anger and frustration are are uh, not far away at times, and I have to wrestle with that. But when when that ha- maybe for you it's different. Maybe it's de- depression. Maybe it's uh, sadness. Maybe it's exhaustion. You know, like we all kind of go somewhere when we're not in a good place. Those are like little flags to say what is going on in my heart. And when you feel that way, remember, because here's what we'll do. We'll feel that way and we'll just like put a smile on our face. You know, we'll feel that way and we'll just push through. That, that's exhausting. And what that is, is just we'll just, we'll just dig our hypocrisy graves, you know. We'll like, we'll see the discontinuity and we'll just keep going. But when you feel that way, God is saying, what, think Consider who you fear. Like, what is it that is the worst case scenario? And, and ask God, ask God to reorient you to fear him. And I think that kind of leads into the, what we, another thing we should remember. We remember that the spirit is your helper. <laughs> like, you're not in this alone. The spirit is poured out. Jesus is sitting on the throne. He pours out the spirit to deal with this problem. <laughs> hypocrisy like we can't change what's going on in here by ourselves but the the spirit changes in here by using means like he's given us his word he's he's spoken things about who you are and about god's love for you i mean even jesus saying i tell you my friends like that's from the spirit speaking to you from god that you are the friend of jesus He's there for you. It's interesting in this section that we get the uh, Luke 12, verse 8, kind of this section right here in our Bibles. It's a little chunk, and it talks about acknowledging Jesus. It talks about like just kind of rough situations that are going to happen for the disciples. Look at verse 11. It's like, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Amen. Like the disciples had to be in some pretty rough situations. Right? Like it was very difficult to say the least. As we just like, look at the book of Acts, you know, Luke chronicles a lot of the hard things that happened to them. And Jesus is trying to encourage them and say, you're not in this alone. Like, you're not in this alone. You have the Spirit. Remember that the Spirit is your helper. Remember, he's the one that is the third person, that's God himself dwelling in you to equip you for the difficulty of dealing with, at the very least, your hypocrisy, and in the extreme situations of disciples, like threatening with your lives when you're in front of rulers and authorities. I mean, that's intense. I, I mean, I, my prayer is that we would never have to go through that. But it's difficult enough to deal with the hypocrisy in our hearts. It's difficult enough to, to be consistent out here and in here. Like, that's hard. 
It's hard to come to terms with those things. John 14, 26 is another passage that kind of speaks to this a little bit. And again, he's talking to the disciples, but as he pours out the spirit, we can see what he does. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He's speaking to the disciples saying, look, the God himself will dwell inside you and will enable you to remember the important things I've said while I'm here. In 2 Peter 1, verse 21, kind of touches on this a little bit. It says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. The same Spirit that's given us the words of life right here. The same Spirit that is God. Jesus says, have you not read what God has said to you? Like God is telling you that he's his friend. God is telling you that I see your hypocrisy. God is telling you that I've given you the Holy Spirit, the same one that has given you these words to change and transform and to make you more consistent with the image and beauty and glory of Jesus. Like you have a helper. You have someone who's been poured out for the sole intention of glorifying God by imaging Jesus more. By, by the way you act on the outside is consistent with who you are on the inside because it's Jesus who is transforming you on the inside in and through the Holy Spirit. Why? So that God who we fear could get more glory and honor for who he is. Amen. Just remember that we have a helper in this. Another thing to remember is to kind of evaluate what you treasure. Evaluate what you treasure. I think, you know, we, um, we say, we confess that uh, one, one uh, Bible verse I really like is uh, the presence of God is fullness of joy, you know? Like, like God is where fullness of joy comes. Like it's his presence that comforts us and encourages us and all of that is true. But how much of my like week, day to day is like pursuing that? <laughs> you know, like, I know I do this all the time, but like, it's easy for me because I can like see the numbers of how much I'm on my bicycle. You know, like that's just a thing that's measurable. And, I, I, and don't hear me as saying like, if you're not uh, praying and singing hymns to God, you're not pursuing the presence of God. That's not, that's not what I mean. Uh, work is a way to pursue the presence of God. Uh, enjoying his creation is a way to pursue the presence of God. Uh, applying a skill set that you have to something unique about you is, a, is an avenue to pursue the presence of God. Like all of those things are true. But what Jesus is saying in this story, and we'll read it in here in a second, <coughs> is what do you treasure more? Like, what is the motivator for you? Is it the presence and glory of God in the things that you do? Or is it something else? Is it the, the promotion of our own glory? Is it uh, comfort in this world? Because who doesn't like that? Is it is it money, you know? Like, how many decisions and things do we do because we're just like straight pursuing that? Which, can, again, can be used for the glory of God. Look at what Jesus says in this parable. As he says, remember, kind of, <laughs> so you don't be a hypocrite. Remember what it is you really treasure. Like, think about that. There's a story and we'll look at uh, verse 16. We'll start in chapter 12, verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Man, I'm like, I got so much, so much stuff. What am I going to do with it? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and my goods. And I will... I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I was like, uh, what's the, the, like, the Dave Ramsey thing? You know, he's on step whatever, 
like eight, I don't know. He's like, I got all the things, we're good, <laughs> you know, it's, we're set. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? What are you gonna, like you've gone through all this stuff. You've done all the steps. You've amassed all this wealth. <clears throat> you've stored it. You're just gonna like chillax and do whatever you wanna do and be comfortable. And now I'm requiring your soul of you. How much good is that for you? And Jesus says, so it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He doesn't say, so is the one who wants to be wise with their money, you know? He doesn't say, so is the responsible person that's investing and trying to prepare for the future. Because it's about what you treasure. It's about like, what is at the top? What is the thing that you value the most? And if you value anything less than God, more than that, the, the natural outflow of that is hypocrisy. Especially for us, right? Like how many good and wonderful things do we sing about God? And if deep down in our hearts, that's not what we treasure, we're just hypocrites. We're hypocrites. And I, hear me is saying, yes, we're all hypocrites. Jesus knows that. That's why he's saying, watch out. A little bit of this can go a long way. It's bad. Let me help you not be. <laughs> Let me help change you, transform you, give you the spirit, give you the word so that you can be more consistent in here than out here. And if, and if we remember what we treasure, if we, if we treasure things up for ourselves and are not rich towards God, that's not good. It produces hypocrisy. And you might say, well, okay, um, what does it mean then to be rich towards God? What does it mean to be rich towards God? <clears throat> Give it like an extreme story. Um, I think, I feel like I was the last Christian to read the book, The Hiding Place. I don't know, maybe y'all guys haven't read it, but it's, um, it's about Corey Ten Boom who helped Jews in the, uh, when uh, the Nazis invaded Holland and just kind of a, like a lady that lived with her dad and her sister until like she was 50 almost. And then the Nazis invaded and man, the story is like crazy. And it's interesting to me to think that like all of these crazy things in her story happened like when she was 50 and later. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm not even there yet. You know, like what in the world is God like preparing us for uh, personally, like as we move into the future? <laughs> And she's kind of, you know, just work, working her nine to five, shops downstairs, houses upstairs, sister, dad, doing the things, you know, they had a fairly boring life, but she ends up rescuing a bunch of Jews and uh, gets caught eventually. And she gets put in solitary confinement uh, for like a few months. Uh, and I don't, you know, she's in her 60s at this point. I think it's not like, she's old. I don't know exactly. But it's through some a miraculous circumstance in the, this crazy situation where someone helped her out, she ended up with a copy of the four gospels in her solitary confinement. The way she talks about how that gave her life in hope, in peace, in some of the worst circumstances is unreal. Amen. Like, you're like, whoa. It's crazy how that literally sustained her through some of the like most, like, like more painful for her, at least the way she tells the story, than when she ended up in a concentration camp. That's where she ended up because she was just alone. And, and she tells the story about how she had an aunt that would come in and out and like it was her friend. Like that was like her, like a joyful part of her life, you know? And I, I think that's when we say we're rich towards God, <laughs> Like, I think God will give us grace if we're in situations that are just like extreme and crazy. He's gonna like give us the grace for that. And that's a big part of her story too. Like, like God will prepare you and, and equip you where you're needed. But, but what we want, what we, what we want to do in the meantime, Jesus is saying is we're building our house. We wanna build it on something solid. We wanna be in the word. We wanna pray and we wanna plead with God. We wanna ask God as we worship him to use the spirit and stir our hearts so that he is our treasure. 
so that we value him, so that we're, you know, we're not all stuck in solitary confinement waiting for the ant to come out because it's the most exciting part of our day, but you're struggling with things. You are suffering. You're dealing with parts of your life that are difficult. And are we going to the word and saying, Lord, change my heart so that I treasure you more, so that I'm not a hypocrite, so I give you glory Jesus wants us, Jesus is the only one in the history of the world that's utterly consistent in here and out there. And that's why we say the beautiful gospel, because that's just an amazing thing to think about. But he's the one who you're united to in the spirit that he's beginning to transform and, and image himself to the world in and through you. The last thing to remember The last thing to remember is your worth to God. Your worth to God. Amen. Because I think when we wrestle with the reality that we're hypocrites, it's easy to forget how zealous God is for you. Like he loves you. He calls you friend. And the, uh, the passage that, you know, everybody knows from Luke where he says, be anxious for nothing. Verse 22 of chapter 12, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For the life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Skip down to verse 25. He says, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? implied that the answer is no one. And he goes on to say, you know, he's telling us not to be anxious. And and if that's our takeaway when we read this section, um, that's discouraging because it's like, don't do that, you know, don't. Like if that's what we dwell on, God said don't, you know, so don't do it. Well, that's not, that's not helpful, you know? That's not encouraging. But he, he makes that point, and then he's like, let me tell you why. <laughs> like, let me explain to you how much God values you and considers you. Amen. Just consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They, like, they're not freaking out about how they look. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the, the richest king in all of the Old Testament, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And I think about, you know, where you go to like the Natural Science Museum or whatever, and you, like the things we know about how a plant works is crazy. <clears throat> like how photosynthesis works, how many different variable colors, how beautiful they are when they're under a microscope. Like you and I have uh, kind of a sense of this even more than the disciples would have. There's this, there's, he's like, look at the, the flowers. They're glorious. But if, if God so clothed and designed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Like how much more valuable are you, those made in his image? That's his, you have so much worth in the eyes of God. He, he, yeah, he sees your hypocrisy, but because he loves you, values you, cares for you, he is determined to change you and make you beautiful. Amen. Verse 31, he says, instead, seek his kingdom. Another way to say, treasure God, fear him, and I'll take care of the rest. Verse 32 says, fear not little flock. I mean, Jesus is just like pouring with affection there. Fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. your father's good pleasure we kind of talked about this before it's like 
if you're persistent and you're asking him for help, like he gives the example, like if, dad, if, a, if a son comes up and asks for a fish, he's not gonna give him a serpent, you know, or a scorpion. Like, like even, is, you know, even if you're not a parent and you, like if, this is maybe a good example. If you're not a parent and you talk to a parent, you know they have to be real careful when you talk about their kid, you know, because they love them. It's like so much of what and who they are is wrapped up in that little thing running around. God is trying to, 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 to teach us how much he cares for you. Amen. Like if you are gonna talk about one of his kids, you better be careful because he is zealous for them. He values them. He loves them. They're worth so much to him. And that's why he says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think if we don't want to be hypocrites, we should remember that we're not hiding it forever. It's gonna come out. We should remember to consider who we fear. We should remember that the spirit is our helper. We should remember to evaluate what you treasure. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to remember how much you are worth to God. He loves you, he values you, and he loves to give you the kingdom. He loves to change you and make you into the image of his son because you genuinely mean so much to him. Let's thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, I think that it says that your love is meant to draw us to repentance, Lord. You're affections for us are so strong are so beyond what we can comprehend even this morning we prayed that we would comprehend what is the incomparable love of God in Christ Jesus towards us who believe we we need your help to see how much you love us care for us and desire to make us look like your son and Lord, you've given us your word. You're equipping us. You're, you're changing us to be like nobody else in the world can be, consistent with who we are inside and the outside. Like you can actually make us less hypocritical. You can change us and make us more genuine. You can, you can draw us into your presence and have our worship be from the heart so that we have our affections, our minds, our thoughts, everything fixed on you. Lord, you're capable of that, and that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. So I pray that you would do that in our hearts. I, I, I'm thankful that I, I see you do that in, in us already, and I guess I'm just asking for you to continue to do that more, Lord, so that, so that if anyone walked away from you, it wouldn't be because of our hypocrisy. It'd be because it doesn't make sense that we have so much joy and peace in you, and, no, and they can't figure that out. So I thank you for this time this morning. In your name I pray, amen.